Our text this morning is found in Romans 8, as we were saying, in verses 12 through 17, and looking at the spirit of adoption. And friends, very simply, a real Christian is a person who has been born again, who has been granted life from outside of them, the intervention of God. God has taken hold of them and made them new, given them life in the Lord Jesus. God enables the sinner to turn from their sin and to trust in Christ alone, his finished work on the cross, so that they can be forgiven, they can be right with God. And a real Christian will also show the fruit of being born again by faith in the Lord Jesus, the evidences of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And if we're believers this morning, we need to understand just how vital the Holy Spirit's role is with regards to our assurance, our knowing that we are sons of God. And it's only through that work of the Holy Spirit that we can be assured that we really are the Lord's. You know, if we're honest, we often struggle. You know, we're weak and in constant need of help from the Lord. And the Holy Spirit is the one who works assurance in us on behalf of the Godhead. And if you look at verse 16 of Romans 8, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The emphasis is that it is the special work of the Holy Spirit who assures believers that they belong to God, that they're in the family of God. And as God, the Holy Spirit is able to do this work and is willing to do this work. It's a great, great thing. You know, in his perfect wisdom, he knows exactly what we need to comfort us, to encourage us and to assure us. His power is able to overcome all barriers raised against him. You know, the Holy Spirit's energies, they they never vary, they never fade. So even when we're in those toughest seasons, he is working and testifying of our adoption. You know, in John 14, the Lord Jesus promised that the Helper would come to abide and to dwell with the Lord's people, to be in them. And his presence assures believers that even when they go through the darkest times, we're not left as, as orphans. But there is that assurance, that reality. And really, the Holy Spirit works to affirm the adoption of the believer in Christ. It's interesting, Paul writes elsewhere in his letter to the Galatians, Galatians 4, very well-known verse, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And so the work of redemption through the Lord Jesus in that verse, it goes beyond the legal language, that legal declaration of of forgiveness and pardon, and it brings us to the language of family, to relationship. You say, "Well, well, how do we know we are adopted by God? And well, you know, Paul answers that in our text, Romans 8. He says, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. And so the father doesn't want us as his children to to live in suspense. He wants us to know so that the Holy Spirit affirms it and, and prompts us to cry out to our heavenly father. And so we need to, to break down, what does this look like? What does the Holy Spirit's work look like in a child of God, in a believer. Well, in verses 12 to 17, this staggering passage, 
it identifies a number of aspects of the assuring witness of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer to testify that they really are children of God, that they really are adopted into the family. And this morning, God willing, we're just going to work through them. And hopefully that will be a help to us. And so the first thing that it shows and that it looks like is this verse 12. The Holy Spirit gives us new desires for the spiritual and the holy. So when the Holy Spirit is at work, when he's dwelling within us, when we've been converted and born again, he gives us new desires for the spiritual and the holy. Look at verse 12. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. So when he grants this life, he gives desires to pursue the things of God, righteousness and to hate the works of the flesh. He shows us what sin is really like so that we despise it and we want to turn away from it and we have that desire to please our Heavenly Father. And so there's a a great change that takes place, a transformation, new desires for the spiritual and for the holy. And uh, it includes many other positive things as well. He, He bears witness to our heart and mind that the whole of the Bible is true. You know, he he illuminates the the scriptures for us so that when we take this book in our hands, we readily believe that it is the word of God from beginning to end, that it is the word of God. And we acknowledge the authority of scripture for faith and practice. We, We love the word and we want to submit to the word and obey the word because that will glorify God in our lives. He also delivers us from self dependence by showing us more of the Lord Jesus in his beauty and in his fullness. He shows us that Christ is our all in all. He also works within us so that we love and have a a love for each person of the Trinity with a, a passion for fellowship and deeper knowledge of each divine person. So there is a, a real engagement and relationship with God and the three persons of the Godhead. And he works in us and moves us to to long to be filled with the Spirit so that we give over that control of our lives in order to please the Lord in gospel holiness and service. We want to do those things which honor our God. And he stirs our souls and our affections so that our hearts burn within us and we want to know more of Christ, to be close to Christ. And also he gives us desires to to pray for our fellow believers and to to love them in the Lord and delivering us from living in isolation, hidden away somewhere. We, We want to be with the Lord's people and we love them. And also he gives us glimpses of glory and foretastes of the the blessedness of heaven, the the first fruits of the Spirit. He he moves us to long to, to be home and to be with Christ, to be forever with him. So the Holy Spirit gives us these desires for for spiritual things, for, for holy things, things that before his intervention we never wanted. We wanted nothing to do with them. And then the Holy Spirit not only gives us these new desires, but he also gives us vital help to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Look at verse 13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so these new desires, they show themselves in a changed life. 
You know, there is no conversion without transformation. That's what we say. There must be that, that change that takes place. It's a, an ongoing process, ongoing work, but there will be a change. And the child of God through the Holy Spirit is active in putting to death the deeds of the body, those behaviors of our sinful nature and the, the pursuit of unrighteous things and the indulging of indwelling sin. We are to fight those things, to put those things to death. But, you know, we can't do that in our own strength, can we? You know, the work of the Lord Jesus in his death on the cross for his own people struck the death blow to the deeds of the body. And his work is applied to us by the Holy Spirit in those degrees throughout our lives as we are united to Christ, was what we were singing about earlier. The blessings of being united to Christ and the Holy Spirit applies these things to us. You know, John Owen said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. The vigor and power and comfort of our spiritual life depends on the mortification of the deeds of the flesh. And the Holy Spirit is vital in this. It's only by the Holy Spirit as he strengthens us and applies those graces to us that we have any progress in putting sin to death in our lives. You know, and that in itself is an affirmation that we're children of God. That very battling, that, that very struggle with sin is an evidence of sovereign grace. And you say, well, how does the Holy Spirit do this? Well, let me give you some insight into that and hopefully you'll be familiar with it. You know, the Holy Spirit makes us alert to sin. You know, he shows us patterns of disobedience in our lives. At times, a, a lack of discipline or, or times when we're being drawn into sin's grip or creeping strangleholds of pride. And, and he exposes those areas and he, he convicts us. And then, as he convicts us and works in our life like that, it leads to us grieving over our sin. Because we, we see how serious it is and we see the difficulty that it's becoming and, and we become burdened over the areas where we know that we've been disobedient and we know that we've disregarded the law. But then the Holy Spirit brings us back to the gospel. He brings us back to the Savior and applies the, the sin-killing work of Christ at the cross and he shows us again the forgiveness that we have in Christ. And the freedom from sin that we have in Christ. He brings us back to the Savior. And then he strengthens us. And enables to take up the fight again. You know, to, to put on the armor of God again. And to stand against the onslaught of the enemy. And by his empowering and his co-laboring with us in the fight. He enables us to win certain battles. And all the while he affirms and bears witness that we belong to the law. That these things are evidences of spiritual life. Now, there are things where we, we battle and we, we gain a victory, so we think. And yet, the battles spring up again. And it's an ongoing thing and we, we keep battling. But the Holy Spirit, he continues with us to help us. And that's the way in which he, he helps us to put to death the deeds of the flesh through conviction, bringing us to Christ and, and strengthening us in these things. And that's what Paul is identifying. You know, the person who's not converted knows nothing of this. You know, goes about their life, no thought of sin or difficulty. You know, but they face a great condemnation and judgment. So the Holy Spirit 
gives us new desires. He gives us help to fight sin. And then verse 14, the third thing he does, he leads us to live for the Lord. This is so important. You know, verse 14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. And the emphasis there is on an ongoing present activity. What do I mean? Well, it means to the fact that we've been led to this point, but we are being led. You know, he's, he's active with us every day. There is life. And uh, the Spirit's leading is one of the most important evidences of being a child of God. And, you know, you say, well, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? It's so important in the Christian life. But there are a few who have a, a biblical understanding of what it means. You know, some get very nervous. You know, when we begin to, to speak about being led by the Spirit and we get anxious about it because we're, we're concerned over, you know, some of the excesses and various things. Others speaking of being led by the Spirit seek of it, you know, very light and trivial ways. Well, we need to have a biblical view. And the leading of the Holy Spirit, it refers to the office of the third person of the Trinity by which he guides all believers. Let me emphasize that, all believers. There are not different classes where some have a special leader and some don't. All believers. He leads all believers through the wilderness of this life to the glory to come. And the Spirit's first work in the heart and life of a sinner is to, to bring life to the dead. He, before he leads us, he has to regenerate us and quicken us and bring us to know the Lord. And from that moment, then he directs and leads our life so that we grow in grace and we become more like the Lord Jesus. And the scriptures make it clear that the Holy Spirit directs our actions by illuminating our understanding and directing our inclinations to do what is pleasing to the Lord. You know, that's essential in our walk. Paul is clear. You know, if you're not led by the Spirit, you know, if you're, you're not looking to these things, you cannot be a child of God. The Holy Spirit guides us and supports us, shows us the way in the Word, and enables us to walk in the way of life that leads us to heaven and to be with Jesus. You know, as one explains, when someone leads you by the hand, you still have to move your feet and walk along but you act following the leading of another. That's the leading of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't force you to obey God, but he comes with sweet power to lead you and direct you. And when you resist that leading, then we are in danger of falling into sin. And one preacher puts it like this, it's like trying to drive your car with the handbrake on. You know, there's, there's an inner resistance and an unhappiness about where you're going and a, a tug to slow you down and make you realize something is wrong. And when we begin to stray and wander and go in avenues where we know we shouldn't be, we know it. I don't belong here. I shouldn't do this. You know, that, that's the prompting and leading. And the Holy Spirit leads and he, he's always consistent with the Scriptures. He has that direct influence upon our hearts and minds. Again, which is never counter to the Word of God. Always consistent with the Scriptures. And he deals with us by applying the Word and, and making it real to us and challenging us and restraining us from going in the ways of sin and all the while to make us more like Jesus. And so there are times when we're tempted and the, the Holy Spirit strives with us so that we feel we must not give in to this temptation because it will be dangerous to our spiritual well-being. It will be dishonoring to God. And so through the application of his word, the Holy Spirit directs us in the right way, 
forming Christ in us. And even when the battle rages as grace is given, the Spirit bears witness within us that we are children of God. These things wouldn't be evident if we were not born again and right with God. And so the Holy Spirit leads us. And then in verse 15, another thing that he grants to us and gives to us is the sonship of adoption. Verse 15, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. Paul says that we have received the, the spirit of adoption, not the spirit of bondage or, or slavery leading to fear. And you know, if we're true believers, we are to live life in this spirit of adoption, in the blessed confidence of knowing that we are secure in Christ that we're in the family of God and that the father will never disown his child. You know, just as he will never disown Christ, he will never disown us. He will not disown his people. You know, if only I could convey to you this morning something of the, the wonder, my dear friends, of the fact that in Christ we are children of God and secure in his hand. And that relationship is so vital that we know God as our personal father, it is such a, a liberating reality that impacts every area of our life and, and deepening our worship and our prayer and our communion with the Lord and our resting on his promises. And Paul shows this in the text. He says, you know, you, you've received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, some explain the term Abba. Uh, only as a, a type of sentimental expression like daddy. But, you know, that's not enough. It's not an accurate reflection of what Paul is saying here. The title is a title of honor that expresses the, the utmost reverence and respect and adoration to the Heavenly Father. And within that, it highlights the deep loving intimacy that is bound up in a, a true father-child relationship. And you know, the believer who cries out, Abba, Father, is saying, the Father, the Heavenly Father, the, the God of all, is my Father. It is so beautiful. It is a, a cry of fervency and dependent trust and knowing and taking the Father His Word. It is something that is communicated to us by the Holy Spirit. And in the depths of our need, at times when we are deep in the valleys of darkness, the Spirit grants us that divine right and intimate privilege to be able to cry out, Abba, Father. One preacher gives an illustration from a time when he was in Israel. And uh, the preacher was walking along through Jerusalem and he was walking behind a, a young boy and his father who was a, an Orthodox Jew in all of the traditional dress. And uh, his father was obviously a man on a mission because he was walking much, much faster than the boy. And every few steps, this little boy had to, to run to try and keep up. And so, you know, he'd run and stop and run and stop. And eventually, it just be, became too much for him. And his little legs gave way, and the boy dropped on the floor and cried out to his father, Abba, Abba, Abba. His father turned around and came near, scooped him up in his arms, put him on his shoulders, and the preacher said he had never understood the beautiful word Abba as well as in that moment. My friends, if we don't understand the blessing of that, that the God of creation, the God of 
the heavens and the earth, the God who is holy, the God you know, of the thunderous Sinai, the God who will judge and condemn sinners, that God becomes my Father in Christ Jesus through the spirit of adoption. And he receives me into his family so that when I cry out, Abba, Abba, in all my need, he stoops down and he picks me up and he embraces me and he carries me. And you know, that's the distinctive blessing of the new covenant, that believers may call upon God in a profound sense, Abba, Father, by the Holy Spirit. And you know, there are particular blessings when the Spirit's witness may be, be known and felt. You know, when we, we worship together with the Lord's people, there are, there are times when our hearts are, are lifted in adoration and we, we recognize with fresh love that, that God is our Father, that Christ you know, is, our, is our Lord and our elder brother. There are, there are times when our hearts overflow with the, the wonder of the incredible privileges that we have been given because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. You know, why, O oh Lord, such love to me? And then other times, you know, maybe when we're on our own in the quiet or maybe we're sharing fellowship with another believer or even when we're, you know, maybe just walking down the road and the, the Holy Spirit may so witness that we are his and, and he is ours that, that we just want to cry out, you know, hallelujah, Abba, Father. And we sing his praises. You know, wherever the Spirit testifies that we belong to Christ, you know, we are reconciled to God. He is our Father. We have been given new life new attitudes, new desires, new purpose, and we want to please him. And if he has adopted us, if he has declared us to, to be his child, it's irreversible. Forever you will be his child. It should thrill our hearts. Abba, Father, the Spirit shows us and gives to us these things. And really, verse 16 carries that on it. You know, the Holy Spirit witnesses with our spirits that we are God's children you know, the Spirit himself bears witness. You know, adoption and sonship are inseparable from assurance. If you were to read through Romans 8, you know, certain phrases are repeated again and again. Sons of God, children of God, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. Verse 29 says that we're predestined to be conformed to Christ. So he that might be the, the firstborn among many brethren. And that theme of adoption is the, the sort of pinnacle of the letter. You know, the, the Puritans often said that, you know, being adopted as a child of God is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. It's even higher than justification. You know, justification is vital because we need forgiveness through Christ. We need right standing with God. But adoption takes us higher because we're not just forgiven and pardoned, but we're made part of his family. And we don't understand the Christian life if we don't grasp that and the Holy Spirit is essential in communicating that to us. And through this, we understand that the gospel holiness and gospel obedience, which is something else that Paul majors on, you know, it springs from our love for the Lord and our gratitude to the Lord, a total contrast to the dead legalism, which is all duty, all form, all appearance and wrong motive. We serve because we love. 
And when we grasp this relationship, this adoption into the family, it will change our lives. It, it changes our relationships. And like our Savior, we long to do the Father's will. You know, it changes the way that we see our relationships with, you know, with God himself, the triune God. We find our greatest love in, in God the Father and his Son so that we share in some measure as adopted children in the depth of love with which the Father loves his Son. Have you ever thought about that? John 17, 23, Jesus prays in that wonderful prayer that you have loved them as you have loved me. Can you fathom that? Secure in the purposes of our Heavenly Father towards us in Christ. Secure knowing that the Holy Spirit dwells within us and will never forsake us. Again, we cannot describe it fully, but there are times when we feel the reality. You know, often when we're cast down and we're afflicted and we're, we're in trouble and the Holy Spirit makes his comforting presence known to us and, and refreshes us and revives us again. And, and when we feel deserted, he comes and he, he moves us so that we, we call out in prayer and we, we feel nearness with the Father and the Son by the Spirit as we pour out our hearts before him. And by the Spirit's felt presence, we know these visitations when we know that, that sweet communion with God. And we know that we're adopted. And the Spirit indwells the believer and there are times when we were so aware of it. Times when the triune God and his truth is, is embraced with assurance. The truths of the Bible are, are so real and vivid and alive and, and precious. And the truth of adoption increases our relationship with the triune God for good. You know, when we are aware of this, it transforms our relationship with God. Transforms our relationship with affliction. When we really know God as our Father, we know that there'll be times when he disciplines us. We know that he loves us. We know that he wants us to be what we should be. And so it changes the way that we see suffering and adversity and difficulty. And it gives us a greater trust that God is really actually causing all things to work together for our good as his children. You know, that, that's not just a, you know, something to, to throw out there as maybe we often do. We need to see it within the context of our adoption, of what God is doing for us as his people. And also with ourselves. You know, when we, we see that adoption, it changes how we see ourselves. You know, holiness is a family characteristic. You know, as believers, we should want to grow in holiness. We should want to pursue these things. We should want to put off the old man and put on the new man. And when a believer has that aim, they will discover an increased assurance of adoption and increased awareness of the presence of God. It never ceases to amaze me that even after all these years as pastor, that when troubles come, you know, you see it often, believers are so quick to, to pull away and to abandon what they know they should be doing because they think it will make it better. It always makes it worse. Even in the toughest times, we should pursue the path of holiness, which will in the end bring that assurance and communion with God and protection of God and the presence of God, tasting real mercy, wandering away is never the answer. And when we're adopted, we have that awareness. And it changes our relationship with other believers. 
You know, when we understand our adoption, we want to be more like our elder brother, the Lord Jesus. And one outworking is that by his spirit, we learn to love our brothers and sisters in Christ in a way that human nature can't create. You know, we, we recognize the, the saving work of the Spirit in each other. We, we see the fruits of grace in one another's lives and we encourage one another. And the Holy Spirit uses other believers to, to help us on our way, to comfort and encourage us and strengthen us and we're to enjoy that family life now. You know, even to the point where we esteem one another and sacrifice for one another. But only the Holy Spirit can enable us to do that. It changes our relationship with the world. You know, 1 John 3 tells us that we will share this unspeakable love of the, the Father in Christ, but because we are Christ, the world will hate us. And we need to be aware of that. It shouldn't surprise us when the world despises us because it despised him. And also it changes our relationship with the future. You know, as children of God, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, we know our future is secure. And when Jesus comes, we'll be like him. We shall see him as he is in such a stunning, glorious future with our everlasting father, our elder brother, countless brothers and sisters, the, the angelic host, the new heaven and the new earth, heaven a sin-free, pain-free, suffering-free world of love. What a future God's adopted children have. And at times, the Holy Spirit may give God's children special foretastes of it, especially as they draw near to home and with it the assurance that they are safe in the hand of their Father. And friend, that, that should encourage us to keep going. And the last thing as we finish, the Holy Spirit he assures us that we are safe in our Father's hand even when suffering comes. Look at verse 17. If children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. You know, the greatest privilege of adoption is heirship. You know, believer this morning, I, I hope that you understand, you're a royal heir. You're a co-heir with Christ. Hebrews 12 says, the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. And Paul says, the children of God are heirs of God. The Father sent his own son to the cross to purchase the legal right for the offended holy God to adopt sinners like you and me by faith in Jesus Christ and to make them joint heirs of whom is the rightful heir of all that God possesses. You know, we go through this life we may lack much in this world. You know, we may lack much. We may face many trials, many troubles, but it is all part of the process by which we are being brought into the full inheritance. And suffering must come before glory. It is part of it. And God has appointed his children joint heirs with Christ. Christ came to this inheritance by suffering in the world and God uses suffering to prepare his sons for glory. We suffer with him, but we will be glorified with him. Suffering is not the end in itself. It points to the greater end of being glorified with Christ. And the Spirit makes us conscious that Christ is everything so that even in suffering we identify with him knowing that we are following his pattern suffering before glory but glory is coming and we have a royal future and believers share in the kingship of christ 
partake of the kingdom of heaven. And we need to believe it. And to rest in it that our Father in heaven, who owns every blade of grass, all the cattle on a thousand hills, all the galaxies in the universe, has given it all into the hands of the Lord Jesus, who died for you and has made you an heir and joint heir. In Jesus, he has made you an heir of all this. And one day, you will live and reign together with him over all things, being made kings and priests to our God. And that future for each one of us in Christ is not in doubt. You know, those in the world can do their worst. Our future is secure. And the Holy Spirit assures us of that. You know, the witness of the Holy Spirit is such an important part of the believer's life. If only I could convey to you just a small part of that this morning. You know, and you say, well, you know, I'm here this morning and I I just feel as though my love for God is, is so weak and faint. You know, I, I, I don't feel I've got that freedom to call on the Lord with assurance. What, what do I do? You go to him regardless. And you ask him and you cry out to him and you humbly with sorrow over your sin, like the prodigal, you say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but here I am and I long for you. And even though there might just be a flicker in your life this morning of these spiritual things, there is life. Rejoice in that. A dead man isn't concerned for any of this. You know, if you're concerned this morning over whether you're really a child of God, that your your desire is to know that you're in the family of God, rejoice in that desire. Because that's the Spirit's work. You know, if if you feel that you're empty and poor and, you know, you hate the way that you keep stumbling into sin and that you're dismayed at the way you so often do those things which you wish you didn't do, you know, all of those things are scriptural indicators that the Spirit is at work in you and that you're part of this family. You know, no one who doesn't have this life of God experiences any of that. And so you go to him and say, Lord, I believe. Please help my unbelief. I so much want to be your child and for you to be my father. I come plead in the Lord Jesus. He's the only way I can know you. You know, he won't turn you away like that. And maybe, you know, you're here this morning and you feel, well, I don't know any of these things, but I wish I did. You know, I I, I would long to be a real Christian. Well, what you need to do is very simple. You come to the Lord Jesus You call upon God, you tell him that you're not certain, that you don't know, that your soul is troubled, that you know that you're a sinner, that you want to be forgiven, you want to be adopted, you want to to rest in his arms and ask him by the Holy Spirit to enable you to to see your sin, ask him to, to save you by his grace and then look to Jesus. His perfect life, his, his death on the cross for sinners, his resurrection and belief. Believe on him, trust him, cast yourself upon him, and he will save you. John 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me. The one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Go to Jesus, cry out to him. He will come to you, he will save you, he will make you part of his family, and he will keep you all the days of your life and throughout eternity. There is nothing like being adopted into the family of God. 
And I pray this morning that by that precious work of the Holy Spirit, each one of us would be able to cry out, Abba, Father. Amen.